Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. You are listening to the Lunchtime Movie Review at lunchtimemovieview.com and we are the children of the beast. Does this mean we have to watch another movie? Coming to you from the drive-in in Nelsonville, Ohio, it's the Lunchtime Movie Review here on the MHM Podcast Network. Each episode, we look back at one of our childhood favorites to see if, if it stands the test of time. I'm Chad. And I'm Patrick. And today, we are reviewing 1985's Mischief, written by Noel Black and directed by Mel Damsky. Today's TNA Classic stars Doug McKeon. Catherine Mary Stewart, Chris Nash, and the late Kelly Preston. But before we begin, we have a word from our sponsor. Citizens of Nelsonville, Ohio. Springtime is right around the corner, and nature is preparing to explode in all its glory. However, are you finding it difficult to keep your landscaping looking neat and clean? Are you envious of your neighbor's well-coiffed hedges and lawns? but not capable of keeping your front yard from growing out of control? Well, then you need to contact Chad Moon's Bush Trimmers. Chad and his talented bushwhackers will make sure that your walkways are clear enough to land a plane on, and Chad's team is always discreet, willing to make nighttime visits to remove your clippings and excess wood. So call Chad Moon's Bush Trimmers now and get your front yard ready for bikini season. Chad Moon's Bush Trimmers. (laughs) okay uh yeah we are your favorite bushwhackers trust me i'm sure and it's nice to have one of our 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 participants be one of our sponsors for a change it's just it's just great that way exactly Uh, i I live in the desert so we don't worry about that shit (laughs) (laughs) well thanks for getting more business out there i greatly appreciate it yeah we like we like to keep ours just clean Uh, let's see here. A long time ago in a pissant Ohio town, an average horny high school student, Jonathan Bella, lives his insignificant life by crashing cars, watching D-cups walk down the street, and getting his rocks off by reading nudist magazines. Jonathan is brought to the screen by that pain-in-the-ass kid from On Golden Pond. No, it's not Jane Fonda. Jonathan is portrayed by the master thespian Doug McKeon. Jonathan's only friend, and I'm using that term loosely, is the new kid in town, Eugene Gene Harborough. Gene, portrayed by the race Chris Nash, is your typical 1950s greaser who idolizes my hometown hero, James Dean, but he comes off as a cross between Michael Pere and Eddie of the Cruisers and Lewis Smith in The Heavenly Kid. Yeah, look those two up, kids. You'll figure out what I'm talking about. Gene is experienced with the ladies and instantly makes it his mission to help Jonathan lose his virginity because there's nothing better to do in their pissant Ohio town. Gene takes an immediate liking to Bunny Miller. When Bunny isn't lusting after starfighters or fighting off comet-created zombies, 
She is dating the biggest douchebag in Nelsonville, Ohio, Kenny Brubaker. We all hate Kenny because he is the Ridgemont-based audio consultant who took Jennifer Jason Lee's virginity in a Little League dugout. But I digress. Bunny breaks things off with Kenny when he beats on Jonathan at a drive-in movie, then challenges Gene to a chicken race. Bunny decides to start up a relationship with the bad boy in town, Gene, and these adorable kids eventually fall in love while riding horses and motorcycles. We gradually learn Gene has issues that go far beyond the local Richie Rich hating on him. Gene shares with Jonathan that his mother has recently passed away and his abusive violinist father had to quit his job with the symphony to move them to Nelsonville. Gene's father, played by Terry O'Quinn, learned his abusive behavior from his days as a notorious stepfather. Mr. Harborough beats on Gene out of pain for his loss and to discipline his troubled son. Meanwhile, Jonathan and the object of his most lustful fantasies, Marilyn McCauley, start dating. At every turn, the horny couple can be found mastering the art of heavy petting. One afternoon, while Gene and Bunny are bareback riding in a local pasture, Jonathan strenuously tries to get Marilyn out of her panties and bareback ride her in the front seat of his dad's car. When they get caught by their friends, the car door accidentally opens, Jonathan rips Marilyn's pantaloons off of her body, and the couple creates a very memorable 1980s movie poster. Jonathan and Marilyn quickly get past their embarrassing petting session and decide to take their relationship to the next level while Marilyn's parents leave town for the weekend. Marilyn invites Jonathan to her house one beautiful Saturday afternoon and proceeds to lead him to her bedroom. Marilyn puts on some mood music, then turns her innocent teddy bear around so it can't watch the upcoming exploits. The teens begin undressing each other, and we learn Mother Nature has blessed Marilyn and her, her portrayer, Kelly Preston, with a pair of golden globes worthy of their own award-winning ceremony. A naked Marilyn crawls into her bed and convinces Jonathan he needs to remove his bloomers before the action, action can truly begin. Just as the teens begin to explore their bodies, the backwards Jonathan confesses to Marilyn he didn't bring any protection with him. Marilyn tells Jonathan that they can quote-unquote play, but they can't go all the way. Jonathan, tur in turn, convinces his girlfriend to play quote-unquote just the tip. The joyous game proceeds, and Marilyn's dog Lassie enters the room to see if Jonathan has fallen down the well. Marilyn gets distracted by the dog, but Jonathan stays focused and doesn't pull out of his mission, and he completes his conquest happily as can be. Things turn comical when Marilyn's parents unexpectedly return home. Jonathan has to get dressed and flee the scene before he gets caught. He flies out the bedroom window, but is eventually caught by Marilyn's mother, who also has the fortune of watching Jonathan's pants fall to the ground. Bunny's parents want her and Kenny to get back together, so they set up a dinner date with Kenny at their house. Gene finds out about the date and gets angry with Bunny. Kenny uses his dinner date as bait to get Gene into a brawl at the local Arnold's drive-in. Kenny and his, and his friends battle with Gene and Jonathan until Jonathan gets a broken arm 
and the owner breaks up the fight with a shotgun. Gene's father is enraged by Gene's behavior and kicks his son out of their house forever. Gene decides to leave Nelsonville and injure Jonathan and a broken-hearted bunny who reluctantly begins dating Kenny again. After agreeing to attend the prom with Jonathan, Marilyn reneges and decides to attend with Jerry Yeager, her former boyfriend who is now in college. Jonathan decides to break things off with Marilyn, telling her she is shallow and cold-hearted, but she has big jugs. Gene returns to town to ask Bunny to run off with him. Gene has found work on a Kentucky horse ranch and peace in his life. Jonathan and Gene go to the prom to find Bunny, but are instantly asked to leave since Gene is no longer a Nelsonville student. Bunny, who is dancing with Kenny, sees Gene and chases after him. With Jonathan's help, the couple reconciles and decide to leave town together. Jonathan informs Bunny's family she has left town, then runs into that prick Kenny one more time. Jonathan, who has had enough of Kenny's bullying, goes demolition derby on Kenny's precious car in the middle of Nelsonville. Ultimately, Jonathan runs Kenny's car into a fire hydrant where the water kills Kenny's car. A triumphant Jonathan sees his friend Rosalie, who has had a crush on him, and asks her out on a date. He drives off in his beat-up car happily ever after the end. Okay, Patrick, do you have some numbers for us? Yes, I do. Hang on a second. All right. Mischief was released on February 8th, 1985, the same day as Witness with Harrison Ford, Heaven Help Us, The Falcon and the Snowman, Mrs. Sofal, and the re-release of Fantasia. Uh, the same month as The Breakfast Club, Vision Quest, Into the Night, The Mean Season, Turk 182, Tough Turf, and Chad's all-time favorite film, Lust in the Dust with Tab Hunter and Divine. Uh, grossed. Uh -huh. Uh, grossed just over $8.6 million at the box office, making it the 92nd highest grossing film of 1985, right behind such films as Tough Turf, Sweet Dreams, and Target, and right in front of such films as The Man with One Red Shoe, That Was Then, This Is Now, and another Kelly Preston classic, Secret Admirer. The IMDb rating for this film is 6.5 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes has it at 57% critics and 66% audience. And that is the numbers on Mischief. Very good, very good. Well, in the 1980s, teen sex comedies and coming-of-age movies were a very popular genre in theaters all over the world. Here's a list of just a few uh, films I came up with in that year. Um of 1985 we had tomboy breakfast club vision quest heaven help us uh the sure thing porky's revenge frat fraternity vacation girls just want to have fun just one of the guys private resort hot moves saint almost fire the heavenly kid weird science real genius and teen wolf just to name a few all of these films for one reason or another are in my wheelhouse um <laughs> for sure However, I knew I only knew of mischief, but it wasn't really on my radar until the late 80s or early 90s. And I started to watch it on cable every now and again. And to be honest, I only really remember the VHS uh, box cover at my local video stores uh, more than the feature film itself. But I have to ask you, uh, Patrick, uh, how familiar were you with this movie back in the mid 80s? Never saw it. 
Never saw it yep. at all. I it, it, I I remember the VHS cover. Obviously, I worked at Blockbuster for a decade, but I didn't catch this until the 90s and when Kelly Preston obviously became Kelly Preston. Uh, I <laughs> didn't catch this on HBO. I didn't catch this in the theaters. Never saw it at all. Uh, until the 90s and then it made a distinct impression on me at that point <laughs> i wonder why <laughs> yeah i can understand yeah because i'm one of those i only knew her especially from i think the movie a tiger's tale was c thomas Howell, not even secret of Meyer, but a tiger's tale yeah. and i think ann margaret was in that but yeah this one was totally out of left field for me until i just found it on cable one weekend started watching it and I like you found uh, some inspiration in watching this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it is one that I I did I never even heard anything about it, and it was just a random rent for me, probably late nineties. And then I went, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> and not because of the story, uh, but it was it was like that was unexpected. I did not expect that nude scene from Kelly Preston. That oh, I won't say graphic, but that. Uh, just revealing of a, a nude scene, especially from an 80s film and from an 80s film that I never heard anything about. I mean, because right. it, it, this came out when I would have been in junior high and there, you know, if there was a film that had full frontal nudity, everybody talked about it. I mean, Porky's, I remember everybody talking about Porky's and, and, and I'm trying to think of what other films had full frontal nudity, a female nudity at the time. And every boy always talked about it. This was never discussed. No one ever discussed this movie that I can recall. Yeah, same here. I, I, I say I knew of maybe the movie trailer and the box cover, but that was it for me. Well, let's start with the lead actors in this cast, uh, Doug McKeon and Chris Nash. I know of Doug from On Golden Pond, a film I really, really like. And I give Doug a lot of credit for bringing a realistic teen behavior and an anxiousness, if you will, to this role especially since it was a period piece. As for Mr. Nash, uh, he looks the part, but his acting leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion. I don't buy him as a tough guy, a softy, or a troubled youth, to be perfectly honest. Uh, he just comes off as an actor trying to create a character uh, he doesn't truly believe in or feels comfortable with. But I have to ask you, what do you think about these two, uh, and Doug McKeon as Jonathan and Chris Nash as Gene? You know, like Doug, Doug McKean, obviously a teenager playing a teenager, uh, you know, so he's not playing out of this. So the research for this film is he turned 18 right as this film was beginning filming. And and he was, you know, he talked about, wow, it was my first time I didn't need to have like, an, you know, a chaperone on the set. And and then it made me go, who the fuck is Doug McKean? <laughs> and because I, I the name sound familiar, but I couldn't place him after seeing him. Like, I don't remember him anything else. And I loved on Golden Pond, but I just did not distinctly remember him from that film. And so it was, oh, OK, that's who he is. And, uh, you know, that I, I don't I mean, he. I guess I'll know him as that you know, pain in the ass kid from on Golden Pond. And I'll remember him from this. But I, none of nothing else in his filmography causes me to distinctly remember him. You know, as for the other guy, I mean. It was kind of this weird, He he's playing, trying to play a, somewhat of a heavy, but he's a softy, you know, at the same time. And it was just this constant, constant contradiction that he's, he's really the good guy, but he almost wants to have this portrayal as the bad guy and that he's always getting into trouble. But 
you know, it, 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 it was a character that was just, didn't seem to jive for me. It just didn't seem to work as well as I thought it would. Yeah. I'm trying to think, uh, last night when I was putting some notes together, who could have taken over this role? I mean, like, and had a little bit of age to him and about anybody in the Hollywood scene at that time who had a little bit of age to him probably could have helped this out. Something like this. I mean, you wouldn't want to go Judd Nelson or anybody like that. Cause I think they were trying to keep this as with people who were less known, but somebody who had a little bit more edge to them would have been better off than Chris. Yeah. I mean, he just, there was not, there's characters that you like, as you said, Judd Nelson from breakfast club is a good example. His character has edge. There's a sense of danger to them, even though at a heart, he's somewhat a misunderstood character and this, he never has edge at any point in time. I mean, and as much as they like to say, I'm, I'm always getting in trouble and, you know, my dad gets upset with me. Yeah, he, he, there's never this sense of danger, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or that I would think that that, that character to kind of a, attract the uh, Catherine Mary Stewart character, uh, was it, what was her name, Bunny? <laughs> Yes, Bunny. Bunny, which was a horrible fucking name, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it just never like you know. Oh, I'm gonna ditch the rich kid to go hang out with the guy who rides on a motorcycle. You know, like I, ne- I never got it. Yeah, yeah, I, that's one of the problems I always had with this movie is I just never got him. So I think it hurt the movie overall. So, well, let's turn our attention to the young ladies in this film. I was very familiar with Catherine Mary Stewart as a young lad because she was in Days of Our Lives. And for whatever reason, my entire family was watching that soap opera at that point in time. And then uh, from there, definitely knew her as Maggie in The Last Starfighter. And then naturally, she became super famous, I guess, uh, with uh, Weekend of Bernie's. And I also remember her quite a bit from uh, Night of the Comet, which she's a cult favorite in. And then, like I said, I was really, really impressed with her in this movie because I think her look and her natural nature uh, gave her a presence for this 1950s film since this is when it was set. And she sort of looked like a teenager back then and had the good uh, traditional family values in her, I guess. I think she pulled it off very, very well. I think uh, her performance could have been better, again, if she had a better male lead to play off of, but otherwise I thought Catherine Mary Stewart did a nice job in this. What'd you think about her? I, I thought she was the best cast in the film. I, I thought she fit the role really well. Uh, you know, I, I knew her for uh, last starfighter. That was what I, I remember her for around this time. I still, to this day, have never seen night of the comet and it's, oh. and it's not cause I never wanted to. I just, just never have gotten around to it, but it was, uh, so I was unfamiliar with her work in that, but I thought I thought she did a good job. And once again, I don't necessarily believe the motivations of why she's attracted to who she's attracted to, but I thought she was well cast for that kind of, I don't want to say goody two shoes because she's not entirely goody two shoes, but that that's somewhat, you know, if you had to typecast it, that's somewhat what she was there for. Right, right. Well, let's take some time to talk about the true star of mischief. The reason we're all here today, the Kelly Preston, the breakout, yep. the breakout. Exactly. Kelly truly revealed her acting skills and a couple of her assets in this film. From here on, she made a solid acting career for herself until she passed away in 2020. Uh, Marilyn was the perfect example of a teenage girl who was beautiful, popular, selfish, and horny, 
but wanted to follow all of social the social rules of the day. Uh, Kelly made it feel very realistic in her portrayal. Yes, it helped that she gave one of the most memorable full frontal reveals in cinema history, but she backed it up with uh, some very, very good acting chops in this movie, in my opinion. Uh, what did you think about Kelly in this very early role in her career and a very revealing role in that? Well, well I'll divide that into two halves. Uh, the scene <laughs> and the acting. <laughs> Talking about the acting first. I, I think she did a good job with what she had. I thought her character, much like, you know, the male leads was inconsistently written. <laughs> and is she the bad girl? Is she not the bad girl that, you know, like she seems to bounce all over the place. I mean, she ends up as kind of like, you know, she, she's concerned with what she wants to, but I never understood why her character would want to gravitate towards Doug McKeon other than she was using him to get to, you know, our James Dean type character. And that was, that's what I, it wanted, the first time I saw it, I thought, okay, she's using him to get to that guy. Cause she, she shows initial attraction to him and then suddenly gravitates to Doug McKeon and has an actual relationship with him uh, for a long period of time, which once again said, oh, okay. So she's, you know, she's, she's a good character. Oh no. She flips on a dime later after he ejaculates in her and, <laughs> and, you know, and wants to go out with the former football player who's now in college uh, for the prom or the dance or whatever it was. And it was, as I said, so I thought the character was poorly written. I thought she did a good job with what she had to do. I believed her uh, th either way. I would have believed her as a character. It just was frustrating. It's like, what am I supposed to take from this at the end? Is that she, you know, she's kind of a jackass the entire time or she evolved to be a jackass. What is her character arc? Because it seemed to be the unobtainable, you know, goddess at the beginning. And then she's very obtainable in the middle. And then she's somewhat returns to kind of bitchy unobtainable goddess at the end. And I, and I never, as I said, I never like it. And once she goes, once she says, I'm going to the dance with the football player, gone. I mean, she's out of the story, never to be revisited again at all. Now, as for the scene, I got to say that was, I, 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 you know, Kelly Preston, I think is a, a you know, someone as an A-list actor from the nineties. Now I know she was still up and coming. I mean, this is her first major, I think, role at this point uh, yep. in a film, first nude scene. And I, you know, the, the fact that, you know, I, I distinctly remember seeing Jerry Maguire and I know I saw Jerry Maguire before I saw this film and she doesn't do like an actual nude scene. She's naked, but you don't see anything on her in some of the scenes she does with Tom Cruise. And I just remember, God, you know, I'd love to see her do a nude scene because I think she's absolutely a, a beautiful, gorgeous woman. Um, and, and I thought she was a fairly talented actress as well. I mean, my first, I, and I know I saw her in other things, but my first distinct memory of her in a film is twins. And, you know, that's where she really kind of came into my consciousness. I think she was in like space camp, which I saw and forgot. Um, I know I saw a secret admirer when I was younger, but I saw and forgot. Uh, no, none of it really st stood out. This film would have stood out in that scene specifically. <laughs> that being said, you know, it's weird. That is the only nudity in the entirety of the film <laughs> at all. I mean, it, this is, I mean, you, you, you have nudity that is a Porky's level event, if you will, as far as full frontal, but like Porky's had nudity throughout and it was, it was really totally a sex comedy. This one is, 
you know, this is a couple of take out fucks in the language and take out that scene. And you've got a PG rated, you know, teen film, you know, from the fifties. That's, I mean, it is, it was walking this weird line where, you know, this could be PG, this could be R. Okay. You know, Porky's is a big hit. Let's go R. Let's have her take off all her clothes. And, <laughs> and, and that's what she got. So it was, it's, it's kind of it to me, it's overt in that, that one sex scene, you know, like that one nude scene that just that you threw this in there just to get the kind of Porky's audience, which you didn't get by any stretch of the imagination. And, and probably because this wasn't a Porky's type film, very similar in, you know, a kind of looking back into a decade or so distant, I guess, two decades distant, three decades distant uh, um, from when the film was made, you know, old style music uh, reminiscing to a, a, an era gone by. And then you throw in this, this kind of nudity and sex scene. And it just, as I said, felt extremely out of place in the context of everything else in the film. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, she was one of those that I remembered her, as I think I said earlier, from uh, Tiger's Tale, where I think she has a slightly less revealing scene with C. Thomas Howell. And then I remember her from Space Camp and then, like you mentioned, uh, Twins. And then this was definitely the big revealing role for me and her as well. But I always, I think I joked with you one other time that uh, a friend of mine and I were talking about Jerry Maguire and uh, he was like you uh, just taken away, blown away by the uh, scene in Jerry Maguire where they're having sex and all that. And he was commenting about her and how special she looked. I go, dude, I have a movie for you to watch. And I think he <laughs> ran out and found a VHS copy or, something and watched it right away and i that was always a good one but yet i loved kelly doing this i don't know why these are those moments in film history uh sort of like a julie warner in doc hollywood or a dana delaney in exit to eden where these <laughs> full frontal nudity scenes just pop up out of nowhere and uh somewhat i won't say all of them were benign movies or but it's just like where did this come from how does it get into a script? How are these actresses so willing to do this, but they do it and by God, you remember it for the rest of your life. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I watched, I've only seen this film one time before I reviewed it for this. And that scene was burned in my memory. It really, right. really was. And I, and I didn't see this as a, you know, like a junior high teenage kid who was like, Oh, nudity. You know, I saw it as an adult and it was just like, wow, it was pretty bold. It was pretty daring for its time. And especially, as I said, from an actress that by the time I saw it, I saw somewhat, maybe calling her A-list might be a little bit of a stretch, but, you know, d definitively B-list. She, I mean, she, she was in a lot of films in the late eighties right. and early and, and throughout the nineties. Uh, and, and a lot of uh, important films, uh, she may not have been the lead actress, but she had significant roles uh, and obviously who she married and she you know, took her into much more into the public consciousness as well. But you just, as I said, you just didn't expect to see that from actresses of that caliber, if you will. And, right. and as I said, she's an amazingly gorgeous woman. I mean, even in 1985 and it just, but it was just a kind of, once again, so distinctly out of place, but burned in my memory forever that it was, is okay. This is a film I want to talk about at some point in time with uh, on the podcast. And obviously yes. we are. <laughs>
Yes, yes, I, I can understand. I can understand the reason why, and I'm glad you suggested the film so I could rewatch it again. <laughs> huh? Thank you. Although this film was set in the 1950s, it tries to hit many of the plot points you would find in a typical teen sex comedy. You know, you have a horny boy trying to lose his virginity, a good boy and a bad boy chasing after the same girl, and one or two outrageous moments that audiences are supposed to find hysterical. How does Mischief compare to the other sex co- teen sex comedies and coming-of-age films of the era for you? And I guess we sort of hit on it, but what would have made this one a better teen sex comedy or coming-of-age movie for you? You know, I don't... <laughs> it's hard for me to say what would have made it better. Ultimately, I think it's kind of vanilla. It's... It is just, it's not a bad film. I like the message of the film. I like kind of the story of the film. I don't necessarily, I think what was lacking is somewhat in the execution of it. And that it was just that everything became very just stereotypical. Well, somewhat stereotypical characters or attempts at it, but you never quite commit to it. Like your lead is not James Dean. He's not a bad boy. He's a good guy. He's a re- he really is a good guy from the get go. He's a really, really good guy. Um, you know, Kelly Preston, is she the unobtainable bitchy type character, the sex goddess, if you will, or is she actually kind of a good char- character? I don't, I don't even know how to interpret that. Jamie Gertz, who we haven't talked about yet, um, yeah. you know, that she's supposed to play this nerdy girl. She doesn't. I mean, she's gorgeous in the film, even when she has the braces on. It's like, okay, I, you know, I had not seen, obviously I hadn't seen this since the 90s and I'd forgotten she was in it. But the moment she was on screen, I'm like, oh yeah, he's ending up with her. You know, like it's, you know, that's just obvious. It's that that's the girl that uh, Doug McKean's going to end up with at the end of the film because they're probably more similar and you can see her kind of pining after him. But, you know, but even, even still like her character is, is she the nerdy girl or is she, I mean, cause at the end she's kind of the hot girl as well. And th- th- there's a lot of, a lot of inconsistencies, inconsistencies throughout the entirety of the film. It's not bad. It's just, it, as I said, it's, it seemed like it was like, okay, we're going to try to replicate Porky's. We're going to take it to an era gone by. We're going to have kind of this teenage sex comedy, but there's not really that much sex. We're going to talk about it a little bit, but we're not actually going to show it except in one scene. And when we go that one scene, we're going whole hog. I mean, we're, we're not holding anything back except on Doug McKeon. We're going to make him make sure he wears his boxers the whole time. No, I agree with you. To me, uh, I think it's fine for being in that the middle of all those movies I listed earlier just for 1985, but then the genre, it's one of those that I think it fits in the genre because eventually you do have a big moment, teen sex moment, where it fits. I mean, it's an outrageous moment that you're not really expecting, but it hits and it's going to be ingrained in our memories forever in the teen 80s teen sex comedy genre. But I, you hit the nail on the head earlier as well with it seems like you have this very benign, um, very wholesome story about like two 1950s boys, two 1950s girls, and they're having their relationship issues and blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden you take this outrageous, uh, full frontal, full on sex scene and you drop it in the middle to be your outrageous moment, which I have no problem with. But it just seems like nobody ever really commits is uh, going to be a full 
on teen sex comedy or is it going to be a wholesome film where everybody is a very defined role and you're going to say, okay, this is the bad boy. This is the good guy with a, or bad boy with a heart. This is the really bad shitty guy. This is the good girl with the heart. Or is it this girl who's questioning her life? Is it this girl who's really a slut and she wants to pretend to be a good girl? It's like they never really commit to any of it. I think that's what could have made it better in the grand scheme is if they would have just said, okay, you are this person, try to be this person and show off your layers. Now, whether the actors and actresses could have pulled that off, I don't know it, but it could have been a better film had it gone that direction. But I'm just one of those that I think it was good. Um, I sort of like the Porky's thought of put it in the 1950s, but at least with the in Porky's, they went all in. I mean, they didn't hold back. These guys were all horny high school kids. The girls were all horny high school girls. Uh, the teachers, everybody, they went all in. They didn't hold back. They went forward with the characters as they should have. And it's remembered forever, mainly for that is because they didn't hold back. And so that was my big thing. I love this genre. I love these type of movies because they are around everywhere when I was growing up. But I just always have a hard time with ones like this one who don't commit. And they either go all in or don't do it at all because it sort of well, then leaves you half-assed. Well, I mean, it, you, you talk about not committing. Uh, going back to that same sex scene with Doug McKeon, you know, he doesn't bring protection, which, you know, common 80s trope. You know, right. oh, for my first time, I, I didn't think of bringing a condom, but okay, I'll just put it in, but I'll pull it out before, you know, I ejaculate. And then he does. <laughs> and and I, I kept thinking, there's going to be repercussions for this. You know, there's going to be, you know, the, this is going to be the story element. Nope, we're moving past that. You know, there, there's, right. I mean, she's not even that mad about it, you know, even though that it, it, her becoming pregnant in the 1950s would have been a major, major issue for her and for him uh, in that capacity. And it was like, okay, there's no, as I said, there's no consequences for any of the characters' behaviors in any way, shape or form, because uh, even our lead character gets off to run. He, the odd dream of, I want to work with horses and that's what he does at the end of it and comes and gets the love of his life, if you will, and convinces her just to abandon everything she has. Cause my impressions is that she has a lot, you know, she has a well to somewhat well to do family that loves her, takes care of her. Uh, she's on the path to go to college, be, you know, an educated woman in an era where there will probably was not a lot of educated women, uh, women. And then she suddenly just says, Nope, I'm just going to go be his uh, girlfriend, wife, maybe don't know. I mean, they're just very unclear. They're just going to run off together and tell my parents I'll be okay. And that's it. You know, as I said, the, the concept, you know, the realistic consequences of these that they never, never want to scratch that surface as to what this means for people. It's just like, Hey, something happens and we're moving on to the next thing. And even the fact Doug McKeon smashing a car up on main street at the end of the film, there would be legal consequences for that. I'm sure right. the little rich kid would very much be going to the cops and saying, he smashed my car. He needs to go to jail. Yeah. I mean, that was my other thing I was going to follow up on that is, yeah, he does it in broad daylight in front of everybody. And uh, it, the rich kid has already basically gotten off scot-free for all of his bad stuff. So this kid was going to have consequences. Everybody was going to have consequences and you never saw them. 
Uh, and that's the other thing that I guess I have a hard time with is you don't know what's going to happen next, which is fine, but it just seems like they never even wanted to commit to really what the consequences are for the bad behavior or even if they really have good behavior or good consequences. So yeah, I, I like the thought and I like the premise, but yeah, they should have gone all in if they were going to do this type of a teen sex comedy type thing. Yes, they should have. Okay. So let's, uh, finish this one up. Uh, let's go around the table, <laughs> I guess for the two of us, yeah. uh, go across the table. <laughs> so does mischief stand the test of time, Patrick? And uh, I'll go first. I'll tell you, since you picked this one, I'll go first. Um, for me, it does not stand the test of time. It's a good 80s. It's a good 80s TNA film, like I said, and will stay in my collection for years to come. But I won't plan to be watching it anytime soon. Uh, other than the bedroom scene, I don't believe this film has anything else to build a legacy off of. And I thought it looked good and depicted a small town Midwestern USA type setting. Uh, but other than that, that just wasn't enough to save this one for me. But you picked this one, so I'll let you go with the final word on this one. Yeah, I, I picked this one for what we've obviously discussed is to talk about the Kelly Preston nude scene. The, other than that, I find this film uh, really unremarkable. Uh, you know, it's it's not a bad film. It's not a great film. Does it stand the test of time? I, I don't even think it was outstanding in the 80s, other than you had this very, very, you know, uh, unusual nude scene from what would, would later become a much bigger actress. Uh, and yeah. and. And I know, you know, doing the research on it and reading some interviews about her, how she was very proud to do this nude scene because she thought it was, you know, I was comfortable doing it because it was supposed to be a comedic nude scene. And I'm like, okay, the comedy came later in the scene, not in the nudity itself. I mean, there was nothing about her getting naked. It was, I mean, it was blatant. We're just, we're exploiting you to make this as porky-esque as we can. And which is somewhat of a shame that that's what it was essentially for. But uh, you know, it's, it doesn't save the film. As I said, it burned it in my memory, but I don't, you know, even that being said, I saw it once in the nineties. I remember the scene distinctly, never watched this film again and, and watched it now. And, you know, I'm, I can say, okay, I'm done with this film. I'll never watch it. I, I will not revisit this film. So no, I don't think it ultimately stands the test of time. It's, it means a product, very much a product of the eighties. And it's, it's interesting to see like they're trying to recapture the uh, magic in the bottle that was Porky's, which I mean, we reviewed a while ago. And I still don't think it was really that magical, <laughs> but it, they were trying to get that box office gold that Porky's had. And they, they failed to accomplish that. They, they didn't commit as we said, they didn't commit to many, many things. They tried to just make dull, rounded edges uh, to most of it, and nothing really makes it stand out in any way, shape, or form, other than about 30 seconds of uh, celluloid. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I agree. All right. Well, that does it for our review of Mischief. All of our MHM Podcast Network reviews can be found on YouTube and, again, on iTunes. Please subscribe to our YouTube and iTube channels to, and to be alerted of all of our newest releases. While on YouTube, give us a thumbs up and leave a brief comment about today's film and the review. If you feel so inclined, please follow the MHM Podcast Network on Twitter and Pinterest at MHM, Mem or MHM Memories, excuse me, at 
MH Memories. If you can't find a copy of Mischief in your neighborhood video store, if you still have a neighborhood video store, <laughs> head over to our website, moviehousememories.com. Once there, look for Mischief in our feed, and you will find an Amazon link that allows you to purchase your very own copy. And then you can see the famous scene that we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes. Lastly, let us know what you think of this podcast in the comments section on our website and rate it from one to five stars on that page. If there are films you would like for us to review, please send us an email. You can reach us at comments at moviehousememories.com. Until next time, I'm Chad. And I'm Patrick. We got to put our pants back on and get the hell out of here. And you guys are invited. Well, you got to go trim some bushes. This podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The theme music for lunchtime movie review, Fireworks, is provided courtesy of Alexander Nakaranda at serpentsoundstudios.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of the MHN Podcast Network, Lunchtime Movie Review, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.